All right, if we can start making our way to our seats, please. We'll get started this morning. It's great to see everybody. Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Gateway Baptist Church. So glad you're all here with us this morning to worship. Those on watching online, we welcome you as well. First thing we'd like to do this morning, in a way of honoring and just sort of recognition, we'd like everyone in this room who is a veteran to please stand. If you're a veteran, would you please stand? We want to honor you and thank you. Thank you so much for your service for our nation, for us, for giving of yourselves. And we're just so grateful for each and every one of you to play. You have a blessed weekend with your families. And just a few announcements before we get started this morning. Uh, this afternoon uh, is our every other Sunday, second and fourth Sunday prayer gathering here in the sanctuary at 4.30, uh, led by our, one of our elders, Greg, and his wife, Cecilia, here in the sanctuary at 4.30. Um, uh, it's this weekend. If you want to plan it, just to put it on your calendars, it's the second and fourth, second and fourth Sundays throughout each month uh, is our prayer gathering here in the sanctuary. Also, just a last week reminder of Operation Christmas Child. Uh, there's a few boxes left in the hallway. Some people have already started bringing their completed boxes back. Uh, they're due next Sunday on the 19th. Um, so we, if you want to last minute, you still have an opportunity to fill a box this week. But they are to be returned next week, and then we'll deliver them to Ridgecrest Baptist as they prepare them to take to Atlanta. i um, also got a wonderful opportunity to let you guys know about it. It's a new Christmas fellowship this year that... Um, Pastor Grady and Parker Harris have uh, organized and put together. Uh, many of you may have experienced this during the Christmas holidays, but in Eclectic, there is an amazing walkthrough nativity that the, many of our people in our church have done over the past few years. It um, takes about 45 minutes or so to go through to an hour. Um, it immerses you in the story of the nativity and all that took place. Many of you have already experienced it. So we as Gateway have reserved 80 slots Okay, for Saturday, December 2nd, starts at 6.30. And so we are going to uh, bless our church faith family here, 80 of you, to participate, to be a part of it. And so if you want to go online under our news and events page on the website at gatewaybaptist.com and register, we have 80 slots. And so we, uh, your family, children, whoever wants to go, uh, we just encourage you to be a part of that for Saturday, December 2nd. Uh, just for a wonderful time of fellowship and community and getting together. For those of you that may have mobility issues and you may not be able to walk the entire time, uh, Pastor Grady has set it up to where we have a golf cart that they have uh, rented or provided. They called about six people, you said, six to eight. Um, so if you have mobility issues and still want to participate and go, we ask you to please come and participate and we'd have that available to take you around. Um, so just know Gateway is covering it, but you need to uh, register on the website. So we're excited about that. And lastly, for all of our members, um, based on the meeting we had last week, we encourage you today is the time to return your ballots. Um, if you do not have a ballot or weren't able, able to pick one up last week, we have some in the church office, or you can get with uh, Pastor Grady or myself, and we can give you one. Uh, there's a box here in the back that we ask you to put them in um, before you leave. And so if you need one, come talk to us, or there's one in the church office. But we ask you to please return those today and sign them and fill them out. All right, if I ask you to please stand as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning, we're going to be reading Psalm 111. The psalmist says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright and in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and he is merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people he has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding, and his praise endures forever. Let's worship our Lord this morning. 
sing this next song everybody knows it uh it is well and then the next two songs we're going to do, be singing is about finding rest in jesus and just over this past couple weeks through this past month even with the leadership knowing beforehand just the heaviness that has been on the church just through this time of trials and everything just i wanted this week picking songs looking through the text at grazing we preach on them everything i was like just felt it was timely just to sing songs about finding rest and refuge in, in the Father, in the Son. And so I want to read this, Psalm 62, 5 through 8. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So let's sing this together. And when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like
some as well, but before I do, I wanted to read this verse. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, the tax collector went down to his house right before God rather than the other. This was what came to me this morning in preparation. Let us not dwell on the sinfulness of others so much as that we forget our own sinfulness before God. And let us not be saddened by sin's consequences to others so much that we forget how much sin wounds his heart. So let us pray. Gracious Father, we have lifted up some mighty truths about you and your love for us, your deep, deep love for us and the kindness that you have toward us. We've we have sung about the peace that is available, uh, that you make available for us, your children, and we thank you so much, and we need it so much. We don't even know how to pray for some, some things that are going on, and so we just, we just lift up ourselves as sinful people, and we just pray that you will just shower your grace on us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for how much you have forgiven us and how much you will forgive us in the future for our failures. taken those sins and you have cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. You have cast them from as far as the east is from the west and covered them by your blood and we thank you and praise you for, for the love that that shows and the continual love for your children that you have. We pray for your protection of our church body and of us as individuals from the world that we live in, the, the sinfulness of our own hearts, and the evil forces that are that are out there. thank you for your protection as, as a loving father. You take such good care of us and you take care of us in ways so many of which we don't even see or pause to reflect on. They just don't happen and we thank you for that. We thank you for your hand and the things that do happen that we don't understand and we just appreciate your, your care for us. We, we thank you for your provision how you take such good care of us in terms of our needs. And uh, one of those needs that we think in terms of provision is just our daily bread and, and our work and, and these kinds of things. But we think that you provide wisdom for us and we, we need that in our lives in all facets.
God, we thank you that your word says that if anyone lacks wisdom, they can ask, and, and you will provide that, and we, we do need that in so many facets of our lives. We thank you that we can join here together and lift your name high. We pray that we do that this morning in a way that is a, a pleasing aroma to you, and that it is lifted up and, and makes brings a smile to you. We pray that our hearts are, are soft, that, that the truth that is opened up and shared this day, uh, that it will penetrate and that your spirit will work in us and make us uh, change within. We thank you that uh, you have given us this new day, the breath in our lungs, the blood that's pumping around in our bodies. We just pray that it will uh, be used to glorify your name in some, in some manner. And we lift you high. In Jesus' name, amen. Fourth graders who'd like to go, you can go to kids' worship right now. Thanks, William. While the kids are on the move, if you want to find Genesis chapter 2 and your copy of God's Word, Genesis chapter 2. We're in a year-long journey through the first 11 chapters of Genesis and looking at the foundations of our faith and what we believe. Now, as you're finding Genesis 2, I want to ask you this morning, how are we doing seeking to help one another as believers? How are you doing? How am I doing welcoming help from others? Not just in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. How are we doing helping each other put off sin? How are we doing being willing to confess our sins to one another? How are we doing help each other pursue Christ and put on righteousness? How are we doing encouraging each other to find our spiritual gifts and to use them in service? How are we doing helping each other fulfill our God-given callings? All those questions come back to the main question of how are we doing living in Christian community? Acknowledging our need for one another, not just with our words, but how we live as well. Confessionally, it's easy for us to say, yes, as a church, we believe in biblical community, but functionally in our lives, friends, do our lives show we actually believe in and we prioritize the living together in community? Those are the questions that relate to the text we're going to be looking at this morning. As we continue, we're in the first section of Genesis here, and the section that's all about is willingness to pray God's provision for his people. These verses we're looking at are all about God's good generosity and giving to his people everything that they need. And we're going to see one more part of God's provision for his people today as God addresses something that is missing in his creation. So we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 20 this morning. And as we read it, be looking for this stunning assessment that a holy God makes of the state of his creation. As we look for that, be looking for what is missing, and there's what is incomplete at this point in creation. But even more, what does that show us about what you need and about what I need. So what is missing at this point in creation and what does that show about our need, my need and your need? Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 to 20. Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God? I'll be reading out of the English standard version and we'll have the words on the screen for you also. Genesis 2 starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, these unchanging truths, your revelation to us. So pray today you'd use your word to shape me, to shape these precious brothers and sisters, that your word would transform us and change us, and you use it to make us into who you desire for us, your people, to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we begin this text, though, that we're talking about Adam's need and ultimately our need, I want you to realize from the beginning of this text, these verses are primarily about God himself more than about us or our need. This text is all about what God, who God is and what he has done. You'll notice again the name of God here that we've been seeing all throughout these verses. Here. Look back at verse 18 and notice how it begins here. Then the Lord God. Now, if you've been around in recent weeks, you're familiar with this. This is the unique revealed name of God, Yahweh Elohim. Elohim, this word that's translated God, is a name that stresses his power, the God who's revealed in creation, the one who spoke the world into being, and Yahweh, his covenant name that he uses in relation to his 
people. And so the focus of this text is less about us and more about God. And notice how he's the subject and the verbs relate to him. Then the Lord God said, and then I, the Lord God, will make. If you go down to verse 19, now the ground the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, had formed. The Lord brought. So over and over through this text, it's about God as a subject and about what God is doing. And what comes at the end of our verses we've read, what man does is simply in response to what God has already done. So I want to make sure we're framing this correctly. What we see here is God not passively in heaven watching what has happened. God's not in heaven waiting to see what Adam would do or ask for. God is orchestrating all this in his good, sovereign plan. So with that in view, let's start with how God assesses his creation at this point. And go back to verse 18. Then the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, said, It is not good. Now just pause right there, friends. If you've read Genesis many times, if you started Bible reading plans and made it through Genesis, you've read this many times throughout your life. And I think the familiarity of it makes us lose the wonder of this. What God says here should stop the reader in his or her tracks. Because up until this point, God's assessment of creation been, it is what? Good. It is good. But at this point, God speaks and God says it is not good. And in the Hebrew language in which this was originally written, not good is emphasized. In fact, it's the beginning of the sentence. So more literally, this would read, and God said, not good is it. And in fact, in the Hebrew here, that word is emphatic. So a more literal rendering of this would be, and the Lord God said, not good at all is it. So when God looks at his creation, there's something that God says, not good at all is it. Now before we look at what is not good here, realize this is the assessment of a holy, all-wise, all-perfect God. This is not Adam complaining. This is not Adam asking God to change things. This is not God asking Adam if he's happy the way he is and if he wants anything different here. God is not consulting Adam here. This is God himself, the sovereign creator who has all wisdom, looking at what he's done and saying it's not completely good because it's not finished. Something is still missing. Something is incomplete here. And what is missing in God's creation at this point? Other people. Look at verse 18 here. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. That raises a question for why is it not good for Adam, the first man, to be alone? Now remember, this is pre fall. Sin has not come in the world. There's no sin, there's no brokenness, there's no stress, there's no problems, there's no sadness. He's got perfect fellowship with God, walking in the garden, talking to God. He has perfect harmony with nature. There's no mosquitoes biting him, no ticks to fling off. There's no snakes to worry about biting him. There's no problems anywhere in all the world. Nothing to give grief, nothing to give sorrow, nothing to make him fearful. Perfect fellowship with God, perfect fellowship in, uh, with God in, the perf in a perfect natural world. And yet God says, it's not good that he's alone. Why, friends? Two reasons. Number one, because people are made by God or designed by God to be in relationships. God's good plan for his people is to be in relationships. In other words, God has designed us to be in community. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you think back to what we saw some weeks ago to the creation of Adam. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now remember, we saw this some weeks ago. God says, let us. This is plural here. This is a reminder to us that the one true God exists in three persons, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He always has and always will. So for all eternity, God was in perfect community himself with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when the God who exists in community makes people in his image, he also makes them to exist in community as well. He did not desire for his people to live in isolation. And so though Adam has perfect fellowship with God, with no sin or brokenness, so he has a perfect relationship with the world around him, the relationship with other image bearers of God is still missing. And so God says back in verse 18, it is not good that the man should be alone. Friends, that is a reminder for us Today, though sin has corrupted the world, we are still image bearers of God, and we are still made to be in relationship with other image bearers. We're still made to be in community. Like Adam, we too need community. That's why the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as some, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Just like Adam, we have a need to be in relations. We have a need to be in community with other believers where we encourage one another, where we help one another follow Christ. 
Unless we think we can do that in one hour a week in a gathering like this, we can't. That's why we see the early church model so well in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. We saw this just last week, but let me remind us. And day by day, and day by day means day by day, each day, right? Not just once a week. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The picture of the early church for us was people in shared friendship and relationships beyond an hour on Sunday mornings. It was a life shared together, helping each other follow Christ. Friends, we were made like Adam to be in deep friendships within the body of Christ. One of the authors I read this week said it so well. He said, aloneness is not part of God's creation intention. Aloneness is not part of God's creation intention. Intention. God designed Adam to need other people in his life. And God designed you and me today as image bearers of himself as well to still need other people in our life. So why was it not good for Adam to be alone? Because God made humanity to be in relationship with other people. But there's a second reason it's not good that Adam's alone is that is Adam could not fulfill his calling alone. Adam could not fulfill his calling alone. Look back at Genesis 1, 28, the task that God set before Adam. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now we saw this over a month ago, but let me remind us there's two parts of this calling on humanity. The first was to be fruitful and multiply. And obviously the first part is to have children, to fill the earth, to populate the earth. And obviously that's not possible yet because Adam is alone. And so what follows next that we'll see in the next two weeks is marriage as God appoints the means for multiplying and filling the earth. But there's a second part of this text as well, this command, and that is to take dominion over the earth. We see that explained a little bit more in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 that we looked at just, a two, just looked at last week. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Now God made a massive world and he called his people to work it, to keep it, to care for it, to exercise authority in it. And there's no way Adam could do that all alone with the scale of the world that God had made. So notice this here. The commission given by God to humanity cannot be done by just one person. The commission given by God to humanity cannot be fulfilled in isolation. It took a community working together to do what God had called his people to do. So for Adam particularly, he needed a helper to accomplish both those tasks, to be fruitful and multiply and to take dominion. He needed help to do that. So go back to verse 18 and notice what God says here. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now we're going to dig into that more next week. But for now, this word helper means someone who supplies strength where it is lacking. The word helper means someone who supplies strength where it is lacking. That means even pre-fall here with no sin and no brokenness, Adam had areas he needed help, areas where he did not have full strength to do everything. He needed a helper because he was insufficient alone to do all that God had called him to do. And friends, that was pre-fall. It's even more the case now post-fall. There is no one person who has every spiritual gift listed in the Bible who can single-handedly do everything that God has set before his church to do. There's no one person who has all the wisdom to do everything that God has called his people to do. There's no one person who has the strength, the time, the energy to do everything that God has called his people to do. So like Adam, we are made with a need to join with others to do what God has called us to do. So what does the Trinitarian God still do? He brings people together in community to accomplish his purposes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. This is the church for us. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So even today, God is still doing what he did for Adam. He's bringing people together to do what he has called them to do. And in particular, I love how it says a few verses early in verses 18 to 21 in the same chapter. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. Each one of them as he chose. Verse 19, if we were all a single member... Where would the body be? Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. God made us with different personalities, different giftings, different strengths and abilities, and he brings us together as the body of Christ to work together to do what he has called us to do. And this is all the way back to the beginning of creation. God made a world where individual people are insufficient alone to do everything he has called his people to do. So in his infinite wisdom, he made Adam to need community, and he's made us today to need community for our own God-given relational needs and for accomplishing God's purposes for our lives. Now back to Adam, there's a problem here. Adam doesn't know he needs community yet. He doesn't even realize he is all alone. He's just been made, 
Everything is perfect. Can you imagine all he's taking in as he's walking around the garden and sees all the trees and sees all the animals and sees all those onyx stones and the gold and the beryllium and all that stuff that we saw listed out earlier in Genesis. He's processing the beauty of all that God has made. And so he doesn't even realize there's a need yet. So God in his infinite wisdom lets Adam see his need. And he does so in a really creative and powerful way. God gives a powerful image lesson for Adam. Look at verse 19 here. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now again, friends, this is a bit stunning also because up until this point, God is the one who names everything. The sovereign God who made it is the one who named it. He called, if you think back to just the one, he named the day and the night. He named the sun and the moon. He named the sea, the land and the sea, the sky, the plants and the trees. He named the big genres of animals like livestock. He named the times and the seasons. He named even Adam himself. So up until this point, God, the sovereign one, is the namer of all things. But now here, God turns over the naming of specific animals to his image bearer. Unless his image bearer named the animals. He turns over the naming of the animals to the one he has given dominion to. And so in doing so, Adam is exercising the God-given dominion. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So he names all the animals exercising his God-given dominion. But that's not the main point. God didn't do this because God needed a break. God wasn't having being like, I'm tired of naming everything. I'm going to let Adam do it for me. I, I need someone else to do this on my behalf. No, he's teaching Adam an important lesson here. Think of what Adam would notice as God brought the animals before him. He would notice, first of all, that there's more than one of each animal. There might be a group of giraffes come by, or a flock of seagulls fly by, or a herd of cattle come. But as he began to see the groups, he'd realize, but there's only one of me. But even more specifically, as he watched all these animals parade by, he began to realize there's two types of each animals. There's a male and a female counterpart to every type of animal. But as he looks at himself, there's just him, a male only. And so what God is doing here is he's helping Adam see with his own eyes that Adam was lacking a complement. He was lacking the female counterpart to himself. He was helping Adam realize that he did not have community around him. And so as one of the authors described it, God did a grand zoological parade, not for the sake of naming alone, but for Adam to see what God already knew that he needed other people, and particularly to fulfill the mandate to fill the earth, he would need a wife. So in the amazing wisdom of God, Adam could conclude now what God already knew. Back to verse 18, it is not good, or more literally again, not good at all is it that the man should be alone. Now this raises an important point that gets blurred in our culture. Look down in verse 20, in the very end of verse 20, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, this is an important point we need to make sure we do not miss in the culture we live in. Animal companionship, which is good, can never replace human companionship. Our culture blurs the lines on this, but animal companionship, which is a good thing, can never, ever replace human companionship. Now, I'm not being anti-animal here. I love animals. Many of you know I was in veterinary college before the Lord called me to do this, and so I've always had a love for animals and loved having animals and pets in my life. But as fun as animals are, They cannot provide the depth of relationship that fellow image bearers can. Richard Phillips, one of my favorite authors, says it so well. Let's maybe pause and think this week. He said, It is possible for man to find valuable companionship in animals. Dogs, for instance, are known as man's best friend. Yet, God's point was to show Adam how this was merely a metaphor. Men can play fun games with dogs and share loyalty and affection with them, but this fellowship requires the man to lower himself to the dog's level. Think about that. We can have fun games with dogs. We can share loyalty and affection with them. But this fellowship requires the man to lower himself to the dog's level. God's intention was exactly the opposite. Man's true companion was designed to come along him in every way as a fellow bearer of God's image and a true helper in the work given by God. So animal companionship, which is fun, is never to replace human companionship. We have to stoop to the level of the animals to have fun with them. Now, now some of you know in our life we had a turtle for a while. One of my kids rescued a baby turtle that had gotten away from the lake in our neighborhood and was about to get run over. And so the turtle made it to our house, started in a bucket, went into a bear cage, and eventually had this massive ecosystem on our back porch. Now, I grew to love this turtle. His name was Samuel. And I spent many hours to the dismay of my family talking to the turtle on the back porch. 
The turtle would listen really well. I'd feed the turtle, and, by the, and after about two years, the turtle would swim to me when he would see me come out. He'd come to the cage, look up, and poke his head up and smile at me as best a turtle can smile. And so I had a lot of fun caring for this turtle. But I had to stoop to his level. I couldn't be like, hey, I'm really discouraged today, Mr. Samuel. Can you help me? He just wanted food. It was a fun journey for us. And by the time he got big enough to where he could survive on his own, we took him back to the lake where we got him from and released him back. Now, much to my dismay, the turtle didn't turn around and say, thank you for your care the last two years. I'm happy now. We put the turtle down and off he went. No thanks, nothing else. He's gone now. The point of that is it was fun. It taught our family lots about caring for animals, but we were stooping to his level. We were a provider of food, and there was fun companionship with the turtle, but it's not the same as what we have as fellow image bearers of God, people who can speak the truth and love to us, can point us to the hope in Christ, who can cry with us and rejoice with us and pray with us and walk through the journey of life with us. So animals are good. They're good for us, but they are not to replace human companionship. That's why God concludes here, there was not found a helper fit for him. So what then is the solution? What is the solution for Adam's aloneness here? And the solution is other people. In this text, there's a broad principle, and there's also a specific focus. The specific focus is Adam needs to be building towards marriage. What is following here is God making Eve the first married couple. So back to verse 18, when the Lord says, it's not good that the man should be alone, I will make a helper fit for him. He's given a specific reference. He's about to make Eve, which we're coming to next week because Adam needs a wife. So we're going to come to that focus next week. But the broader principle this text applies to all of us, and that is whether we're married or single, whether we're younger or older, new believer, mature believer, we need human relationships. We need to be in Christian community. Because, friends, the ultimate answer to being alone is not marriage. Marriage is good. Marriage is given by God as part of his plan for many, many people. But marriage is not ultimate, friends. There's no marriage in heaven. There's going to be no marriage in the new heavens and the new earth. And there will be no loneliness there either. Marriage is here to point us to the relationship of Christ and his church. Marriage is here to provide a context to be fruitful and multiply. And yes, marriage provides community for those God calls to do this, but it's not the only place God intends for people to find community. So the broader principle of Genesis 2, 18 to 20 for all of us is that we all need community. Let me remind you, Jesus himself never married, but he modeled never being alone. He lived in community with his family as a child. He lived those years of his ministry with his 12 disciples. We have so many accounts of him in people's home sharing meals together. Jesus was single but not alone. He followed God's plan for community. Likewise, the Apostle Paul never married, but he also modeled not being alone. Paul immersed himself in the life of the local churches he helped start. He developed deep friendships with people in the church. So much so, one of my favorite New Testament verses is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you have become very dear to us. Paul never married, but Paul immersed himself in biblical community to the point that he could describe people as a spiritual family, his children, his brothers, and his sisters. So let's bring all that together for us. Whether you're married or single, young or old, new believer or mature believer, here's the truth of Genesis 2, 18 to 24 all of us. God made us to be in community. So we need to pursue relationships with others where we serve God and help each other. God made us. This is a God-given good need in my heart and your heart to be in community. Therefore, we need to pursue relationships with other people, pursue relationships in the church where we link arms to serve God, pursue relationships where we are seeking to serve others and not to be served. We want to be loving people well because God made us to be in community. This was a truth that Adam needed to learn and it's a truth our culture needs to hear today. We live in an epidemic of loneliness today. The studies I saw this week say that one in three Americans experience significant loneliness. For the young generation, it's even higher. Some studies say up to 61% of young people deal with chronic loneliness. Friends, this is not how God made us to be. And the reality is the answers the culture throws at us. Get on social media, drown yourself in entertainment. Those don't solve loneliness. Those only make it worse. We have a God-given need for community. We have a God-given need to be in relationship with other believers who we serve alongside and who serve us and whom we serve. We need people we're united with for God's purposes. So how do we develop it? There's that key word right there you see on the main idea there. We need to pursue it. We need to pursue relationships. Friends, it takes intentionality, it takes effort, it takes pursuit. And I put pursue there for a reason because you'll hear this verbiage a lot today. I've heard it more than I wish I'd heard it. I can't find community. 
It's the common language you hear around the world today. I can't find community. Friends, the reality is I can't find community and you can't find community. We make community. Community is not a program the church hands to you. Community is not something you wait for people to bring to you. You have a responsibility to pursue community, to pursue relationships, to initiate friendships, to bring people into your life, to bring people into your home, to initiate serving others. And so God's plan for me, for you, is for us to be in community where we are pursuing other people. We're pursuing relationships to serve God and serve others together. And so friends, if we want to grow in that, we need to take this to the Lord in prayer asking God to give us a heart for community, asking God to develop deep friendships that we have with others, asking God to help us initiate community and not wait on it, asking God to grow our heart's desire to not be served, but to serve, to grow our desire to serve others alongside him. So in light of all that, friends, I just want to ask you, since God made you a relational creature, since God made you to be united with other people for the purpose of his kingdom work, how are you doing pursuing community? How am I doing pursuing community? Are we joyfully joining others to serve God? Are we joyfully seeking for ways to serve others? How do we, like Adam, need God to open our eyes to the truth of community? Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you are an all-wise God. We're thankful that you made us to be in relationship with you and with others. And we thank you that you've shown us your plan for us. So Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for these precious brothers and sisters that you would guard us from ever taking for granted the blessing of community. Lord, I know there may be people here in this room today who are dealing with loneliness. And God, I pray today that you would help them understand they are loved by you and held by you. And I pray that you would give them encouragement this week to step out and to find ways to initiate relationships with others. I pray for all of us, you would open our eyes to the people around us who are lonely. God, you've put them in our lives for a reason, and one of those may be so they're not lonely anymore. So would you give us eyes this week, God, as your people, to see the hurting, to see the lonely, to see the people who are not well-connected. Lord, you know how easy it is for us to be in our friend circles and our small groups of friends and to miss the people that you put all around us who are hurting. So would you help us look beyond just those we're close to this week, to those you put around us who need to be loved, who need to be welcomed. And I pray you would help us to welcome them the way you welcome them. Lord, for all of us, and as a church particularly, would you grow us in our love for uniting together to serve you, our love in uniting together to encourage each other to pursue Christ's likeness, our love for using our spiritual gifts to serve you and serve one another. Would you grow us, Lord, in being a place of authentic biblical community where the gospel goes forth and where your people are encouraged? Lord, we can't manufacture that. We can't manufacture hard attitudes that love others. We can't manufacture even the ability to see people who are hurting, but you and your grace and the work of your Holy Spirit can give that to us. So we ask you to do that for our own good, for the good of the lonely around us, and for the good of the church, that your name might go forth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Thank you.
snatch us out of your hands. I pray that truth would be a source of comfort for all of us this week, but I pray that truth would be a source of challenge for us this week. That our prayer and our heart's desire would be what we just sung, a maker come and make what you will of me. We'll lay our lives before you, trusting you to form us, to shape us, to be helping us put off sin and putting on Christ's likeness. Or give us much grace this week as you shape us and mold us to who you desire for us to be individually and collectively together. We ask it, Lord, for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.